This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly sponsored by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. As a city supporter, we know you value delivery, and McDelivery is up there with the very best. You'll always be winning with McDelivery because just like Kevin De Bruyne, McDelivery puts your order right on a plate. So the only thing left to say is, are you in? Order now on the McDonald's app and you can also get rewards points delivered as well. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for you tomorrow. Only via the app at participating restaurants, 18 plus, rewards registration required, points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Manchester United 1, Manchester City 6, it's 2 for Dzeko. Tottenham Hotspur 3, Manchester City 4. They have made the impossible possible. Hello and welcome back to the City Report podcast. I am Amos Murphy. I'm Adam Booker. Feeling a little bit jet-lagged, Adam. That one-hour time zone is... It's totally messed with me this morning. It, I, I'm a broken man. I'm an absolutely broken man. Is it the time zone or was it the beer? Uh, no comment, officer. No comment. Well, how was the trip to Dortmund? It looked like a lovely time. Oh, dear. It was superb. It was it was absolutely superb. Um, it started 8 o'clock, 8 a.m., sorry, for those who, uh, who don't deal in 24-hour time, which is still something I'm getting used to. It started 8am at Manchester Airport with a flight to Charlois in Brussels. Now, I'm unaware unaware if we have any listeners in Charlois. If we do, I apologise. But it is a shithole. Like, genuinely. We were only there for about 40 minutes before catching a train over um, over to Liège in Belgium, which is a gorgeous, gorgeous, gorgeous city. But Shalwa, wow, what what a place, and not necessarily for the best of reasons. I'm sure, I'm sure the people are absolutely lovely, but but what we saw in the uh, in the south of the city near the train station left a lot to be desired. And and yeah, then over to Germany, and and I, I've not been to Germany since 2019, and I just forget how what a wonderful, wonderful country it is. Just it's interesting coming from the UK at the moment, which I'm sure as you've been able to see the last sort of few months is fall well last few years to be honest is falling apart at the seams i left the country with one prime minister came back and we had a different one going to a country where the biggest problem is the trains being delayed by 10 minutes not cancelled all weekend was it was bliss it was amazing and and city were great uh, the the fans that is not the footballers i'm sure we'll get to but yeah stadium great unbelievable experience and yeah really really fun so yeah thank you for asking adam it was great i'm glad to hear that one one might say that liege is the standard for all european cities Way. how long have you had that written down uh, however, you however out- long your rant or your explanation yeah. of your trip was in the last five to ten minutes yeah yeah um 
that was good. That I'll t- I'll, yeah, yeah, fair play, fair play. It was interesting on the on the football experience. It, it the, the the differences between German football and English football are just it's unbelievable. We, we stood there with beers in the terraces. In fact, there was a, a vendor, as you, you probably see at American sports, walking in and out the, the seats and the crowd selling beer in inside the, the terraces, on the terraces. I mean, you can't even... You get rugby tackled to the ground if you try and take a pint to the to the in front of the pitch in England, and you had home and away fans mixing inside the stadiums. The concourses were not segregated or anything like that. The police were treating football fans like human beings, which I suppose should be the absolute bare minimum. But in various different European countries, not just in in England, it, it seems to be that they're treated like animals. And just everything about it, and the stadium, Jesus Christ, the stadium, the yellow wall. I know it gets a lot of um, what's the word, sort of praise, and you sometimes go, yeah, right, okay, whatever. It was like it was, you know, see those cartoons. It's like stairways into heaven, like Simpsons, sort of like escalated. It was like that. You could not see the top of it. The, the only way that you could see where it ended was because of the roof that covered it. I could, I could have been another. 500 rows of seats it was uh, unbelievable and I mean I don't know what it sounded like on TV but the Dortmund fans were as you'd expect pretty pretty good yeah they did seem up for it and I wouldn't say that that's the difference between English football and German football I'd say it's a difference between English football and literally the rest of like the civilized world yeah yeah Um, yeah, you're not far behind one of my uh, one of my claims to fame though is getting a pint into I was sat like maybe fifth row up at Wembley when City won the treble and I was <laughs> drinking the whole time. And that's one yeah. of my it's one of my all time yeah. stories now. Nice, nice. Well you see at Wembley the uh, the lower tiers are usually treated with a little more d- decorum. It's in the third tier where the slummers go. And that's where you get that's where you get the tough rides. But yeah, um right, should we move on then? Because before we speak about what happened on the pitch, I flirted with this in the last episode, which would have come out on Monday. We've got some big news in terms of this podcast. Um, no, you're not packing it in just yet, I'm unfortunately going to say. However, do you want to explain what changes listeners might be able to expect in the coming days, weeks, months going forward? Absolutely. Uh, after many hours of deliberation, we have decided to change the structure of this show and transition over to daily episodes, Monday through Friday, Ooh. so not not bleeding into the weekends when there's football. No. Um, Monday through Friday, they're going to be shorter shows, so obviously we're, we're typically in your ears for about 45 minutes to an hour twice a week. It's going to go down to more like 25 minutes to a half hour each day. Um, to add on top of that, to, to sprinkle some more spices into the There's soup. So much news. There's we, so much news coming today. We've gathered a fantastic team of football journalists and uh, radio personalities, one might say, from across mm. the UK, uh, who are all city supporters that are going to come on, contribute to the show, and that way nobody's voice goes stale. We're going to have daily segments that are going to be fun quizzes and games and all sorts of predictions and it's just going to be it's going to be a whole new exciting world i'm looking forward to it amos and i think i can't speak for the listeners but i think that they should be looking forward to it as well yeah yeah um if not, if listeners, you go, that's not for me. Do tell us. You know, we, we are open to constructive criticism. Um, it is it is a big change, as you can imagine. It, it sort of it it 
means we'll see a lot more of each other, which I don't know if is a good or a bad mm. thing, but it's also meaning that we're going to have plenty of new voices coming onto the show. Some some familiar ones as well. Some of those guests that you've you've I'm hoping come to love over the last what. When, how long are we doing? That's nearly a year now, isn't it? About 10 months or so. Um, and yeah, just just to reiterate then, 30-minute episodes, 25 to 30-minute episodes, our aim our aim um, in the first few weeks and going forward will be to have them hit into your ears the, the UK morning. So whenever you wake up from, sort of from GMT time onwards in the morning, they should be there. So for any commuters, any, I don't know what people do in the mornings, I work from home, people move about don't they they go to work um yeah, they put they put pants on yeah yeah they don't just stay in bed for an hour or so um so yeah for, for any commuters or anything like that you, you know the, the episode should be there the only difference that there may be if it's a match day if it's a midweek match day and say for example city playing on a wednesday then the schedule might be a recording or a, or a release later in the afternoon or whatnot but if you have any issues, if you have any questions, if you have, if you want any more information, at City Report Pod is probably going to move towards being the hub for, for for information. The City Report Twitter feed obviously it goes out on there as well, and, and and there'll be some more interesting, exciting stuff coming in collaboration with uh, the main accounts as well, not only on Twitter but on Instagram, also. But yeah, I, I just we feel. Adam and and myself as well, we feel as though it it allows us to sort of expand the creative horizons, if you like, because obviously we do these these twice weekly episodes, but it can be a lot dictated by by what's happened in the football at the weekend. But then say you come to listen to it on a Wednesday and there's already been another game, some of that stuff might be a little bit outdated. So this, we're hoping... Uh, and I mean, it's easy to to say, and and if it goes into practice, who knows? We could uh, we could be uh, resorting back very quickly. A little bit like a Conservative Party U uh, turn for some of those UK listeners. Um, we we're hoping that it, it will allow us to have more episodes that have a longer shelf life, so we can do more creative stuff, like the Concept Elevens we've done in the past, Pe- Best Pet Guardiola Elevens, stuff like that, which can be sort of listened to and then gone back to, and then sort of doesn't expire overnight sometimes which i feel is like sometimes stuff in this industry in this in this podcast world does it's you know very fast-paced and it's a weird thing to say as we're transitioning to daily but you get the you get the impression don't you i'm at least you get the impression adam i'm at least hoping everyone else does yeah one final thing before we move on and talk about something that has a shelf life of saturday um (laughs) is i think the liverpool the week after the liverpool game kicked us into gear right yes because we had the game it was you know a lot of things to speak about in the game and we released an episode monday afternoon and by tuesday morning there was you know crazy news of off the field issues between the clubs and by Wednesday mm. morning there's you know articles to speak about and Thursday there's new more news and and this way we kind of have you know round the clock coverage of what's going mm. on and we don't necessarily have to wait days for things to to get stale and uh, yeah I'm looking forward to it it should be fun yeah it should be fantastic um the only other real thing to say is we're not moving anywhere in terms of where you get your podcast from. Exactly the same feed. It will just be updated more regularly, as you can imagine. So if you're not already, subscribe, follow, um, hit rating and review. That really helps out as well. I've seen some fantastic ones. The numbers are jumping on that as well. So um, that'll be that'll be great. I don't think there's much more to add other than it will start on Monday. 
I think I'm right in saying, yeah, I'm, I'm getting I'm getting the proverbial nod. So yeah, we've been, we've been busy in the transfer market. We'll be excited to show off some of our new additions, as they say. But um, I think that will do for that. If you have any questions, you know where to find us. But let's move on to the match we were speaking about a little bit earlier. Borussia Dortmund nil, Manchester City nil. What a thriller that was! How did how how long did it take you to get over that match, Adam? A long time, <clears throat> uh, mm. but more given the fact that I wish I had done literally anything else with my afternoon. <laughs> Luckily, I was working a different game at the same time, mm. so I at least got paid for sitting there for that ninety yeah. minutes because it was um, it was not fun. Yeah. If you ever to be in a football stadium when that match is going on, just be thankful it was the Signal Aduna Park because there was all sorts going on and all sorts to keep your interest apart from the football itself. Um, however, you know, there is some talking points from this game that, that kind of need covering a little bit because City have gone back-to-back goalless draws in the Champions League group stage. Now, I really should have checked this, but I, I, I'm going to go out on a on a limb and say, that's the first time it's ever happened for City. I can't remember a time when City have drawn two games nil-nil. There obviously would have been times City wouldn't have won two games in a row, and you know, quite recently too. But in terms of back-to-back goal straws, it just isn't a City thing. And you know, I think it was the the Brighton game just gone. Pep Guardiola, or he didn't personally, but City's. City under Guardiola surpassed the 600 goal mark. We're getting used to this team scoring four four goals on average every single game under Guardiola, but back to back Champions League group stage games have finished nil nil. In fact, include the Liverpool game in there. It's three out of four without scoring, which I think we're going to touch on a little bit later on. Um, but other than that, it was a little bit stale, wasn't it? And it kicked into gear the second half when a few changes came and and the system was sort of tweaked. It sort of wasn't, but is it a concern? I wouldn't be raising alarm bells. Um, like I think that the season is going down the drain. Um, I think it has gone a little bit stale and I think there's one kind of tipping point for this, right? And that's Kyle Walker's injury. Um, okay. I think the way that we've dealt with having to play three center backs in every game has taken a lot of impetus out of the attack for me. Mm. Um, you know, I, I, I said this in, in one of our group chats. I was very annoyed on the day um, that it's three games now, Liverpool, Brighton, Dortmund, that I felt like every single city attacker would pick up the ball and be completely isolated. And that's not that's an unfamiliar sight for us. You know, Pep Guardiola's mm-hmm. system is built on overloads. You know, when you when you look at the best games that City have played, you look at, you know, the first half against um, against United this season – it felt like there would there was an extra two or three men in blue shirts on that day, and, and that's what the system gives you when you overload and you've got three or four people attacking, you know, one area of the pitch, and, and there's only two defenders there, and that's where you get the time and space for players to that we see work their magic all the time. Um, this hybrid three at the back system feels to me like it's isolating a lot of players. You know, I, I look at Phil Foden out wide, and he picks up the ball, and typically. We have these little triangles, right, where Cancelo is going to pop over there, Gundogan's going to pop over there, um, and they'll be making passes to each other within 10 yards, and there'll be two or three doing that. I can't remember Phil Foden, Cancelo, and somebody else making passes frequently 
under 10 yards. It felt like everything was a long distance pass and everybody was far away from each other and isolated. And that's easy to defend for a Champions League level team with Hummels, who on his day was good, and Schlotterbeck, who on his day was good, and, and you know, kind of ferocious midfield of, of, of Chan and Bellingham. That's going to be easy for those guys to defend. And I felt like we made it, like I said against Liverpool, we made it easy for them again because we didn't do the things, City didn't do the things that City is good at, which is overloads, quick ball movement. It was very stretched out, very isolated for everybody. And um, it doesn't feel like a flash in the pan. Which is which is what has me slightly worried. It feels feels like three games now. I felt the Brighton game was the same way, but we had moments that we capitalized on the the Ederson pass for the goal, a penalty, and a wonder goal from De Bruyne. Those those goals don't necessarily come from this system. They came from brilliant moments, and that's what has me slightly worried. It it's interesting because when when you raised this topic that you wanted to speak about, it, it wasn't something that had particularly crossed my mind for me. The issue with the the Dortmund game was the fact that what what was that World Cup game from the the nineteen eighties? Was it Germany versus Austria, where both teams at, at kickoff knew that they were through if both of them didn't lose essentially? And, and what you had was just ninety minutes of two teams passing it around, and that's what it felt like a little bit. Obviously, in in final group games, both games are played together to ensure that none of that sort of business can happen. But in the five games prior to that, you still have teams going into matches knowing the fate and knowing what permutations you need, especially in the you know the quote-unquote business end. For me, it felt like this Dortmund game felt like Dortmund knew if they didn't lose, they would go through as runners-up, which was their objective at the start of the group stage. City obviously knew travelling to Dortmund that a point would win them the group. And I've watched Dortmund quite a bit this season. They've been a really entertaining watch and absolutely not for the for right reasons 100% of the time. They've been cataclysmic at, at, at some points. I think back to a game against Werder Bremen, I'm pretty sure I think it, it was earlier in the season where they were leading with seconds, literally seconds left on the on the clock and about within a minute they, they'd turned that away and they'd conceded two goals in any time. They're a very, very open football team. However, the two times City have played them this season in the group stage, it's been anything but it's been restrict the space as much as possible, which isn't an excuse. City have the quality to unlock that. And, and perhaps it is a case of the, the hybrid three at the back, which for me is an issue. But this game in particular, I felt was more down to the format of the Champions League, which I'm no fan. I don't know about you, but I, I, I thought that was a byproduct of the situation as opposed to, and like the Liverpool game, we obviously had contrasting views on, on, on that post-match. I felt like Liverpool did a job on City. Obviously, City have to be better to, to avoid stuff like that happening. And the Brighton game as well, City were okay-ish. They were sort of below their below their best. But when you have Erling Haaland and you have Kevin De Bruyne, you can allow for moments of brilliance. In fact, that's how sort of 90% of, in fact, probably 99% of successful teams in football history have, have done the business. It's only the last 18 months I feel we've been treated to the sort of the the high chance creation fluid football Manchester City where every single match is going to look the same, every single match is going to feel the same. However, sometimes the results aren't the same because City don't take the chances. With Haaland, you can afford to be below your best with Kevin De Bruyne on format as you can be afford to be below your best and I, I don't know if if there's a pattern I may be sort of ignorant to seeing it but I, for me every single game's felt 
a little bit different and that's why it's felt the same if that makes sense yeah i i get that for me it feels like it's been similar for about three games in a row now i'm I'm interested to see what happens at the king power stadium this weekend because i don't know it it feels stale to me and it feels like Mm -hmm. it's tough to say i don't want to rely on individual brilliance because there's enough to go around in this team and 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 it it will kind of save you most of the time but i maybe it's maybe i'm spoiled Maybe I am used to wow. the to the You said it not me. You said it not me. Maybe I'm used to the system creates everything and mm. you can kind of just shoehorn players into the system and, and the system creates it all. Um but those little things of players being isolated and maybe trying to force passes into Holland or mm. um whatever it might be, um has me slightly worried. If if we go to the King Power Stadium this weekend and we post four on Leicester and playing that same system, I'll hold my hands up. Um, it might have been a little prisoner of the moment of me, but at the moment it just has me slightly worried. Like you said, that's three out of the last four without scoring. Obviously, mm-hmm. that, that Copenhagen game was different because City didn't play with three center backs. They played with two fullbacks and and one of them was sent off in, in the first <laughs> half. But um, yeah, I I'm going to be... One percent worried until I see something different. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's funny you said the the fact that the only game they've played with two two fullbacks since Walker's injury. Obviously, it, it went tits up in, in quite a. Royal but the fashion. 40, 40 minutes leading up to that were great. It was, and City it, yeah, should have maybe good. been two or three in the lead. Yeah, two or three. To be honest, it's going. It's, it's sort of going over stuff we've already covered but I, I don't remember City being sort of spellbinding I remember the Rodri goal and, and the and the penalty miss and, and that was probably it but but yeah City should have been ahead mistakes happened blah 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 that was an asterisk and that's what again going back to it that, that was another one of those games where you go in isolation that doesn't happen every week the Liverpool game for me was one of those where you go Liverpool had to do exactly what they did and if they tried to replicate it a hundred times over that one time their game plan would have worked with James Milner at right back Harvey Elliott and um, Joe Gomez covering as well that that was master plan game plan to perfection and you, you know you see what happened to Liverpool last weekend they couldn't replicate it because they were playing out of their sort of usual style um, and again with the Dortmund one a lot of it for me is the fact that neither team really wanted to take many risks and you can understand that in a World Cup year with what five games I think it is until the World Cup starts for City who's going to be taking the risk and, and sort of risking injury so to speak um, it's interesting you mentioned City going to the, the, the King Power we'll, we'll merge this preview into into sort of in, into this chat now because I, I don't know how much there is to say about City going to, to Leicester a team they should be you know you could say that for 19 of the teams in the Premier League so we won't sort of repeat ourselves but Erling Haaland's injury concern could make this situation, this system, this topic of conversation we're speaking about interesting. Because when he went off on Tuesday, it would have been, wouldn't it? Yeah, Tuesday. City looked a much better team in the second half. A much better team. And and whether or not that was coincidence, you know, there was uh, a Kanji came on as well. I think Bernardo Silva came on. You know, there, there were better players on the pitch or more in form or more, um, what's the word, fit, <laughs> sort of not injured in, or not just coming back from injury plays on the pitch. And City's a more fluid team. So if Haaland is out of the weekend and City 
as you predicted, go and post four on them, score four goals, and and everything's looking rosy again. A little bit like it was last season in terms of in terms of that system. Do we then sit here and go, oh, well, it's that bloody big Norwegian who doesn't stop scoring? That's the problem, and it, it feels like. So far, it could be we could be going to a situation where if Haaland plays and City don't score, the conversation goes around how ineffective Haaland is when he's not scoring goals, as opposed to when Haaland doesn't play and City look a much better team, as Jonathan Liu probably would have enjoyed that second half more than the first. Um, that's where it could be going. I don't know what your thoughts on that. Yeah, I think I think we've got good news on that front with his injury, right? That he mm. all the scans came back. Um negative or positive yeah, however it, you want to look yeah, at it it's whether or not he he starts i assume he'll be in the squad but if it's you don't want to aggravate he could find himself on the bench for the first half yeah i get the feeling he starts i i think he's a, a robot i think the fact <laughs> that he came out of there with good news he probably had his mind set on starting and i think he's going to start um with that being said lester are a team that we struggle with at times no matter what mm. form they're in, they're one of the teams mm. that kind of turn back the years whenever they play us, and and they're you know they've won their last two games by a combined score of six nil. Obviously, that's Wolves and Leeds, um, but and it's they've not conceded in the last three either as well. So yeah. they're, they're certainly on a they've turned things around. Their only defeat was against Bournemouth, and you know they beat Forest before that. They've conceded one goal in the last what five Premier League games. Yeah, yeah. So they're they're in good form, but but so are City. I mean. Their city's like bigger picture form is good in this small little mm. window. It's been a bit stale for me, like I said, but um, I think Holland starts. And and if not, then if if Julian Alvarez gets plugged into what we think is City's best eleven with Grealish and Foden and and that midfield three, then you know City obviously have more than enough to kind of steamroll Leicester. Um, but like I said, I've got this uncomfy feeling in my gut about the way things are playing out right now and an early morning kickoff away from home Mm. i don't want i'm not making a prediction here i'm not making a prediction here maybe it's the fact that my coffee hasn't properly kicked in yet it's cold outside i've only got ankle (laughs) socks on so my ankle bones are really cold i've just got a, a bad i've got bad vibes right now yeah yeah um i can already hear the happy clappers Oh. That, that's what I, I can already hear the happy clap. Those those 12. haven't made it back to the family stand at the Etihad, right? No, no. In fact, the first, on the topic of this podcast and sort of evolution and changes going forward, the first ever episode I was looking back the other day was called "Those Happy Clappers," mm-hmm. and it was the, I think it was the, of the City Report podcast, obviously. Um, so no, that they, they haven't returned, and, and for good reason too. However, they they are a staple still at the King Power and half twelve local time on a Saturday. What is it for you about two a.m.? It's four four thirty kickoff. Oh. <laughs> And I'm writing a match got, report, so I've got to get up and like drink coffee and get ready for work. I've got, I've got good news for you, Adam. There's another one of them coming up soon as well. Brentford, the last game before the World Cup, is another half twelve kickoff. So um, you've got you've got a couple of them on the horizon. But yeah, Leicester, 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 Leicester. They're a strange team. They're a strange team. Um, obviously turned a corner quickly then because we'll move on and, and we'll speak about the burning topics of penalties in part two. But do you, for, for me, so so I'll, I'll load the question. I'll absolutely load the question. There was a lot of talk Leicester shouldn't be where they are, that they've got a, a, a squad capable of competing higher up the table, which is absolutely true. But for me, 
I don't think they're a fantastic team, a fantastic squad. They've got a, a lot of match-winning individuals, the likes of Harvey Barnes, the likes of James Madison, obviously, the likes of uh, Jules Brihall as well. You know, players who can and switch a game on its head just like that, at the click of a fingers. Do you think that they've had, obviously they've had a below-par season, but I, I, I'm not too sure they're too far away from where they should be, I guess is what I'm trying to say. I think they're one of those teams that, like you mentioned, they ha- they have a lot of individual talent. And so mm. when they play teams like City, who are going to give a lot of space at the back, that's why we kind of see the best of Leicester pretty often. And, we, and we're and we like, mm. hang on, how have they just drawn nil-nil at Villa Park and they come to the Etihad and they, <laughs> and they score three or four? Um, yeah. When you've got a team with players like that, Madison, Barnes, Patsendaka is good on his day. Yuri Tielemans yeah, is yeah. as good as any Premier League midfielder for me on his day. Um, mm. And they're afforded a lot of space, then they're going to trouble you. One thing that I did think was interesting from the Dortmund game that we may see going forward is we all kind of laughed at the fact that we played 45 minutes with four center backs. Um, but I actually thought that totally nullified Dortmund's counterattack, which was really mm-hmm. dangerous in that first half. And Dortmund, if it weren't for some scuffed efforts and some good saves from Stefan Ortega, Dortmund should have probably been in the lead at halftime. Oh, I'd say so. Um, I'd say so. Was it was it Christopher and Kunku with that that chance sort of no, flashed across goal? Uh, he would have to sign for Dortmund in order for him to of be course. scoring for them. Of course, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, I think there, it was Adiemi, right? Slip. Yes, Karim Adiemi, yeah. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, so point being, if City afford that kind of space to some of these Leicester players, they've got enough talent to to yeah. um, to, to trouble you. But I've, I feel fine about City defensively. I don't, I don't worry about the space that we afford teams. I think we deal with counterattacks well. I think our center backs are at the top of their game at the moment. Um, mm. it's, it's going forward that if they sit really, really deep, um, then do we, ha- do we struggle to break them down potentially without Holland, without overlapping fullbacks? That, that's that's going to be double trouble there. If, if Holland is maybe not fit enough to play from the start and we play yeah. with you know, three or four center backs, then we're talking stale, stale, stale football. But I I think I don't really know how this is going to play out. I think it's probably best to just let it happen and speak about it after. Yeah, yeah. It has got a little bit of that feeling, doesn't it? Obviously, the, the ghost of Jamie Vardy past haunts this fixture. And obviously, I'm... He's not played that much this season, so you know what's going to happen on Saturday afternoon when he's bursting in behind a flailing Ruben Diaz and slotting one past an on-rushing Edison. Um, finally then, on this fixture, before we do move on, do you go to natural full-backs? Because a lot of the, the debate has been Sergio Gomez. Is he good enough for Manchester City? I mean, the lad's not even been in the country for more than two months or whatever it is and and people are already writing him off which for me is absolutely ridiculous however obviously there are there are question marks over his early form and and rightly so I guess you know that's expected he's a young 22 year old lad or whatever it is he's playing he's he's in his second season playing at left back and he's signed for the best football uh, currently the best football team in the world for, for my money and I'm sure everyone else is too do you go Sergio Gomez against a team whose only threat or sort of main threat is counter-attack and obviously that was what caught him out against Copenhagen 
or I guess it's going to have to be three centre-backs, isn't it? Because the options of moving Cancelo back to right-back, as, as was so fantastically done against Liverpool, clearly didn't work. It's going to have to be two centre-backs, isn't it? I've just solved my own question. I've just answered the own question because Sergio Gomez, if forms to go by and, and if past viewings have gone uh, to go by as well, isn't going to be up to the task of keeping those, those match winners quiet that we spoke about. So I guess we're in for the same. I guess we're in for the same sort of... 90 minutes of uh, pins in the eyeballs. Yeah, bear with me here when I say this, but one of the things that I've always admired about Liverpool and Jurgen Klopp... (laughs) (laughs) Cut it. Just cut it there. Cut it up. Get it on TikTok. Get it on Twitter. Can you say that again? Can we have a rewind? I will not say it again. It's been said. (laughs) It's out there. But one of the things that I do admire about... is the fact that they won't change their system for anybody. I mean, they have this year a bit when they have been totally ravaged by injuries and Mm. um, by leaking goals. Um, But in their their heyday, whether it's a 16-year-old kid from the academy or a 38-year-old coming off the bench, they plug right into the system because the system works for them. It's the way they play, and the way they play is successful. I sometimes wish Pep would take a page out of that book because City, in every single game that they play, I can't think of a single team in Europe where they line up against City and I say they've got the better players on the day. City will have the better team in every single game they play. And part of me wants to just say, just plug in the players that you need to play your style of football. This is kind of harking back to the Liverpool game again, but just play your style of football and you're going to win 99% of the games because you have the better players. Your players are consistently in better form. So yes, to answer your question, if it were me, I'd be playing Sergi Gomez because Yes, he's he's more of a defensive liability. He's still learning the the position. He's still learning his role in his team. But what he does is he allows you to play the style of football that works for you. Mm-hmm. And the second that we start going away from what works for City, we see this stale football. We see three out of the last four games without scoring a goal. And you look at the attacking talent in this team, that should never happen. There should never be arguably one single game without scoring a goal with the attacking talent in this team. Um, it's not going to happen because, as we know about Pep Guardiola, his biggest, biggest attribute that he sees in a player is his ability to trust them. And if he trusts mm-hmm. them, they can do anything for him, essentially, in his eyes. And obviously, at the moment, there's reasons for him to not trust Sergi Gomez. But yeah, for me, that's what I would be doing. Maybe that would come back to bite me in the ass and, and Sergi Gomez gets beat down the wing by, you know, James Madison or Harvey Barnes, whatever. Um, but when you're going to see 75% or more of the ball, what he gives you, the freedom he gives you to play your brand of football that works for you is just way more of a boost for me than again, kind of, almost feeling like we're playing football with fear because we're playing football in a way that that inhibits the way that we play well to stop another mm. team playing well. And that mm. that feels like, I, I don't want to say a loser mentality, but it doesn't feel like 
what the best team in Europe should be doing. You look around at, at Real Madrid, at Bayern Munich, at whoever it is, at the top of their game, they just plug and play because they have the better players on the day and they just mm. need to play their style of football and more often than not, it will shine through. Yeah, I, ironically, it isn't always proactive with Guardiola. And I think if you're going to pick a flaw from his genius, it, it is the tendency to muck about unnecessarily. Um, speaking of trust, one player he trusts a lot, Riyad Mahrez, will be back in part two to discuss Mahrez penalties and what next for the Algerian. So I think... It's about six days, actually, since we had a discussion on if your life was on the line, who you would step up and take a penalty. You said John Ashley of the Main Road Ramble. Obviously, I I limited it to no football as being available. But um, if you had to do that question again, but for members of the current Manchester City team, who would you pick and why is it anyone but Riyad Mahrez? Um, I think the easiest answer is Erling Holland. Yeah, I think my yeah. if without Holland because I think that's a, a cheap answer. I think, <laughs> See, it gets a bit difficult, doesn't it? I think because they're just, I think the pressure rolls off their shoulders. I think it'd either be Ilkay Gundogan or Kevin De Bruyne. I know they've missed. They've missed. We're not working no, with great options here. We're not working with great options here. I know. Um. Yeah. We'll. 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 we'll the way the way I feel right now is I would tell the man with the gun to my head just fucking pull the trigger. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you you take your chances with that as opposed you take the chances with the gun stuttering and not firing than you would a city player scoring a penalty other than Haaland. And I mean, he scored two from two, is it? Um, and I'm sure hit the curse will find him eventually, but. How frustrating is this? The fact that once again we're here speaking about a major flaw in City's um, sort of psyche, personality, not being able to score penalties. I think it's 25 of the 80 taken under Guardiola have been missed, which there's a few people. I think Grace on Football on Twitter, who's an f- absolutely fantastic follow just for like wider football coverage, said, well, well, actually, if you look at the numbers, it, it's only just below average. I think it works out some like 6 or 7% below average. But if you look at the actual, the, um, the, the wider sort of big club penalty conversion rates, you know, you've got teams up there with 90%. And, that, and that's really how it should be, shouldn't it? I guess it's easy for us to, us to sit here and say professional footballers should be able to take a penalty. It it isn't that easy at all. If it was, then you would be seeing 90% sort of plus. But it, it feels like I've got a gripe personally with how easy it is for a team to score from a penalty and how a foul that doesn't necessarily equate to a goal-scoring opportunity is awarded a goal-scoring opportunity. But that isn't going to change. You need to find a way if you're going to win trophies to, to be able to score penalties. And at the moment, without Haaland on the pitch, City don't seem to be able to. Yeah, on one level, I have to applaud Mares for the confidence to to continually, after some big misses, to continually grab the ball and say, "Yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do this." And and you laugh a little, but it's, but I truly, I think it's it's admirable. Um, oh no, I do, I do, I do, absolutely too. I, I, but is it not sort of self indulgent at this point? Yeah, and on the flip side, 
I'm disappointed in the rest of the squad that there's not somebody in the squad that says, you know what, it hasn't been going well. Let me step up and and take mm-hmm. one now. You know, mm-hmm. we remember Rodri doing it. Was it? Who, I can't remember. Was it at Anfield? Did, where did Rodri score a penalty in in the empty? I, I remember that yeah. whole that whole empty stadium season is just one big question. game. Yeah. But I feel like I it was a pretty big it. game. Was it? Was it against Spurs at home? It might have been. The, yeah, where, where he great. also the same game where he came back from offside to to no, steal the ball. No, that was Aston Villa at home. Oh uh, yeah, that see Austin that Villa. that season just yeah. is nothing. That, to that me. was yeah. I, I, I'm pretty sure it was Spurs at home, and it was a woeful. It was horrible. Penalty. He should have missed. Yeah. He should have missed, but it managed to squeeze under Lloris. But but that is an issue for me. That you look at the players in that team who was on the pitch at that time. Let me look at the lineup here. Fidevad Mares, Gundogan, Alvarez. I mean, we've not seen him take penalties. I know he's yeah. been in River Plate for a bit. Um, Bernardo, Bernardo Silva. Silva. Kevin De Bruyne was on the pitch, I think, at that point, right? Uh, no, he never came on. So it was. No, yeah, I was going to say I, I, I had I had a few pints, but I didn't have that many. I know, I'm yeah. pretty sure he didn't play. But between Gundogan and and some of the other players out there. I mean Gundogan for me was I think that was who everybody was looking to, right? Yeah. I mean he's he scored a penalty in in a Champions League final. He he clearly can score them in the big moments. And but, uh, and but even still he he takes them for Germany now. Like it's easy to say he scored a penalty in a Champions League final 10 yeah. years ago. He's still Germany's penalty taker at least he he, he is when one or two plays out on the pitch. It's not like he's a complete novice and hasn't taken a penalty for a decade. He, yeah. he takes them for the what five-time world champions, and, four-time world champions. And on that topic, I don't like the theory that Riyad Mahrez can't handle the pressure because I think that's absolutely oh, yeah. ludicrous because we've seen him score big penalties, stoppage time against Spurs to to equalize, um, Champions League quarterfinal against Dortmund away last or the empty season season empty yeah, stadium yeah. season. Um, We've also seen him score huge goals, Champions League semifinals. He had one in each leg mm. in the Champions League semifinal. He was the, the club's leading goal scorer last season in the Champions League. Um, we saw him score at the Bernabeu. You know, it wasn't on mm. Riyad Mahrez that things collapsed at the Bernabeu. He should have been the guy that sent City to their second ever mm. Champions League final. Um, so I, I don't like that theory. I think the theory is that he's just a bang average penalty taker, and therefore he's going to miss some and he's going to score some. Um, yeah, I don't really know where you go with this because somebody's got to step up and say, I'm taking it. When Holland's not on the pitch, obviously when Holland is on the pitch, he's going to take it. But when yeah. Holland's not on the pitch, someone else is going to... And it, we saw Pep Guardiola say that, like I said, he he applauds Riyad for his confidence to, mm. to believe in himself to score. But then he said, Riyad will be taking a break from penalties for a while. <laughs> It sounded so sinister. It sounded like Riyad, Riyad, you will see me in my lair now and I will punish you for your lack of penalty conversion. No, for for me, it boils down to the leadership group captain situation thing where it's worked wonders and it shouldn't be changed. I'm not suggesting it should be changed, but there isn't an individual on that pitch whenever City are playing. There isn't. Ilkay Gundwan isn't the sole voice. There are three or four leaders at any given point on the pitch. And I suppose when you share power around like that and you devolve it to other areas, you do lack this sort of, I don't know, dictatorship figure on the pitch. And Should it be we've Pep? Seen it, 
But I was going to say, we've we've seen it before with, with managers in the past who said, I want him to take it. And on the pitch, it's completely different. In fact, I, I, somewhere in my mind, remember that possibly happening with Jesus and Sterling at one time and, and Guardiola said it was going to be X player and it turned out to be Y. You can't always convey those messages in between a foul and the penalty being taken. So that's why you need the player there. You need the captain to get the ball in his hand and go, it's you or it's him or I'm taking it. Adore Ilkay Gundogan. Absolutely adore Ilkay Gundogan. I, you know, goes without saying. I've never played a, a match next to him, so I don't know what he's like. But he doesn't strike you as the figure who's going to make those decisions, those impromptu snap decisions, in the same way Vincent Company would. I don't think we'd have this issue if Vincent Company was still captain. We may have had other issues, you know, in terms of the the way City set up and the way the dressing room is and whatnot. But I don't think there'd be a situation where having missed the last couple the same players stepping up again when there's, I'm not going to say suitable alternatives, but, you know, Gundogan, he's there. He's converted penalties entire career. For me, on on this end, for, for me, the, the, the praise to Mares, yes, he steps up and takes it. I, I'd have been interested to see had he not won the penalty if someone else had taken it. If Alvarez had been tripped or if Bernardo Silva had been tripped or if any other City player had been tripped, would Riyad Mahrez have taken the penalty? I, I don't think so. It felt like the only way he was going to step up and take it was if he won it himself. I also think that we're in this period where he's clearly lacking some confidence outside of penalties. Um, he's not in very good form. He hasn't started the season well. He's getting a lot of criticism from... But he's, he's been better than the last few weeks, hasn't he? He, 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 he has like been, but I, I think the point like is for me is I, I think that he looks at it as another way to score himself back into form. Hmm. And yeah, which, which most players do, don't they? Yeah, it's not just on him. Um, and when he's done it so often, you probably backs himself, and it is it's just not falling from, is it? I guess we'll use that to segue onto the Mares chat itself. So from penalties to Riyad Mares, there's it, I'm not going to say he's been the scapegoat this season, but it feels as though with the departures of Gabriel Jesus and Raheem Sterling. It's fallen to Riyad Mahrez to pick up a little bit of the slack when things aren't going exactly how they should be. And you you hit the nail on the head. He's had a, a poor start to season by his standards. Obviously, it's only in the summer he signed a contract extension, keeping up the club for, for a while. But it feels like his role's evolved a little bit. He's no longer that star man who, who even as, as late as May in last season, City were turning to to get him out of a pickle. Obviously, Haaland's come in, he scored the goals. That's great. He's taken the, the burden off everyone else. But you do get the feeling as though Mahrez has gone back into a little bit of a shell, feeling a little bit isolated in the situation. He's he's dropped behind uh, Foden and Grealish in terms of starting wingers, when in the summer he'd probably have expected to be... No- first name of first couple of names on the team sheet is he a problem do you think it's time for city to start looking at alternative options or is he going to be able to play himself out of this i'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt here because i think we're in jack grealish territory a little bit here in the fact that if you look at who has played at fullback when Riyad mars has played he had a very good game against Copenhagen at home earlier in the season. I think he had a mm. goal and an assist in that game. Jao Cancelo mm. was playing right back, so he can overlap Riyad Mahrez. Most of the games since then, it's been Manuel Akanji or John Stones. Mm. So 
by the same logic of us talking about Grealish and the fact that he totally thrives when he has somebody overlapping him, somebody that he can that can take up space and drag players away from Grealish so that he can come inside. I think Mares is ninety nine percent the same, and I, mm. I I I find it really really hard to be angry with Mares's performances when, mm. as I mentioned with Foden earlier. He's completely isolated on the right wing. Hmm. And it's very easy to defend. Top-level defenders can very easily defend a player that's isolated. I know Mares has got fantastic technical ability and, and, and tricky footwork and, and all of that. But if you're isolated, you're going to struggle as an attacker. We see it with center forwards. We see it with wingers. We see it with number 10s. If you're on your own, you're going to struggle. And I find it very, very hard to judge him, like with Jack Grealish, when he is put into an environment when we know he doesn't thrive. And mm-hmm. and and maybe we're being too kind of soft on some of these guys and saying, you know, maybe we should be saying you're a world-class 60 million pound winger, figure it out and produce more. Mm. But if you're, if you consistently play in a situation in which I won't say he's set up to fail, but you're not put in the environment that you thrive in, then you're not going to thrive and nobody should Mm. be surprised that you're not thriving. So Mm. if he had Kyle Walker bombing down that wing every game for him and he's playing like this, I would feel like we've got an issue here. Maybe we should be seeing more Palmer or whatever it might be. Um, but at the moment, he's put into a situation where he's not going to thrive and he doesn't thrive. So I'm not surprised. Yeah. And therefore, yeah. I find it hard to fault him. I'd like to see him, and we we had this conversation earlier, we don't really have the option to put him into that situation at the moment because yeah. of the injuries we have at fullback and the fact that we didn't make enough signings in that position in the first place. Um so I don't think anything's going to change going forward. For me, that means stop playing Riyad Mahrez. Because if he's not going to be in a situation that he does well in, he shouldn't be on the pitch. And I don't like saying that. He's a fantastic player. He was arguably City's best attacking player last season. But he was in a situation that he, he would thrive in. And until we see that, I don't think he's a useful player. And I guess we'll call it a day there. Um, only time will tell whether or not Riyad Mahrez can reignite his flame and, and the Algerian prince can once again take to the take to the throne. But in terms of the here and now, Adam, I think this is a historic moment. We 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 call time on our current schedule. We pass the baton over to to a new era of City Report podcast, one that I'm excited to get going, one that I I know you're excited to get going, and and one that I hope the listeners are excited to get going. Thank you very much for today, Adam. It's been a pleasure, and, and yeah, back on Monday. Make sure you're geared up for Man City's end-of-season running with McDelivery. Great food delivered right to your door. By using McDelivery, you won't miss a moment of City's crucial running, and just like Kevin De Bruyne, they deliver your order exactly where you want it. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. Are you in? At participating restaurants only, 18 and plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply, see mcdonalds.com. 
This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.